Welcome to Advance, an NCEES podcast series. I'm your host, Davey McDowell, Chief Operating Officer at NCEES. Today we are honoring the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 with a very special guest, David Widmer. David is president of the consulting firm Widmer Engineering and is a past president of NCEES. He is a professionally licensed land surveyor in Pennsylvania with over 35 years of experience and is a graduate of Geneva College in Beaver Falls. David began his service to NCEES in 1992 and has served as a member or board of directors liaison to almost every NCEES standing committee as well as several task forces. He was a member of the NCEES board of directors from 2009 to 2016 when he served terms as president, treasurer, and Northeast Zone vice president. In addition to NCEES, David has been heavily involved in board service by being a member of the Pennsylvania State Registration Board for Professional Engineers, Land Surveyors, and Geologists for 18 and a half years, serving three terms between 1991 and 2011. In 2001, shortly after the 9-11 attacks, David was involved in a unique surveying project at the crash site of Flight 93 in central Pennsylvania. Today, he is here to share his incredibly compelling and historical surveying story. Thank you for joining us, David. I really look forward to our conversation. Let's get started. All right, well, David, as we get going on your role and what the surveying company that uh, Widmer Engineering ended up uh, kind of doing in in terms of um, the aftermath of 9-11, but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your story? What got you into surveying? Was there any person or any event that kind of impacted your decision to become a surveyor? Certainly, uh, my father would be uh, the best person to identify, him being a licensed professional engineer and licensed land surveyor in Pennsylvania. Um, he actually um, served in the Air Force and worked in the photo reconnaissance in a top secret position where basically he sat at a desk and reviewed aerial photography at several of the bases where he was uh, sent and uh, looked for basically uh, buildups of uh, the enemy. That all kind of tied, you know, he came back from the service, uh, began to work for an international engineering firm, and just knowing my father and everything that he had done throughout his life, uh, that kind of got me directed into this field. As, we, as I mentioned early on, we we're going to talk a lot about kind of that fascinating story as it relates to, to 9-11. A number of years ago, someone had told me that there would be certain events in life that you just remember where you were and exactly what you were doing at the time of it. Same thing can be said for the terrorist attacks that happened on 9-11 of, of 2001. So tell me about what do you remember about that morning or that day, and then how things kind of transpired for you and your company as those events unfolded. To use the words from uh, Alan Jackson's song, you know, where were you when the world stopped turning? I don't think anybody would ever forget where they were on that morning of September 11th, 2001. Um, I actually was at a marketing meeting with another professional land surveyor uh, that worked for my company. We were meeting with the chief of surveys at a PennDOT engineering district in Indiana, Pennsylvania. We had a nine o'clock meeting, so we knew nothing about what was going on until our meeting concluded. And as we were leaving the uh, 
Department of Transportation uh, office building, the receptionist told us that something was going on. They, they, you know, the buzz was starting over emails and, and the internet and phone calls, uh, but we still kind of knew nothing about it. We left uh, Indiana, which um, was several miles from our office. We were on our way back, and all of a sudden, we started seeing state troopers passing us going let's just say exceeding the speed limit. And um, we turned the radio on and and we started hearing these stories. And, um, you know, as this was unfolding, you know, it still was uh, not real clear. As you know, it took several hours, if not days, before they really had a, a true handle on what was transpiring. Flight 93 crashed at 10.03 a.m., and that's probably about the time we were leaving that meeting. So those police cars we saw were being more than likely being dispatched to Shanksville, PA, where Flight 93 met its demise. And we lost, you know, close to 40 people uh, at that event. So um, I don't think I'll ever forget where I was, nor do I think most Americans would ever forget where they were that day. Yeah, it's just one of those things that is emblazed in memory. So the wreckage of Flight 93, how far was that from, from, from home? Well, from, um, from my office to Shanksville was 89 miles. Um, and from where I was at in Indiana, it was 41 miles. So it really was, I mean, by today's standards, that's not far at all. You know, there are actually people, neighbors of mine that, that swear to this day that they saw the, 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 the plane actually fly overhead. Um, some of those stories are unfounded, you know, but, but based on the projected trajectory of how the plane came, you know, when it made the U-turn, it, it basically did go over our area. So, um, it was pretty close. So tell me what happened after, how were you as a surveyor, uh, kind of called in to do some investigation? Well, that was a very interesting story because, um, it was several days later, that I got a phone call from a major environmental engineering firm that we have done, had done work uh, previously at a number of sites, uh, both Superfund sites and, and other, I mean, one was a dynamite factory and others were chemical factories. We, we've done work for them for years. But I got a strange phone call from my contact there that, that basically said, we wanted to know if you were interested in doing a project at a site that there was a possible plane crash, but we can't tell you where, or we can't tell you any more details. We just want to know if you're interested in participating in the project. So obviously you can see they, my mind started wondering, but it didn't wander too far because uh, being with that site being as close to it was to our office, I kind of figured that's where we would be headed. They contacted us to see if we'd be interested in doing some work. The first thing we had to do, believe it or not, was send paperwork to get approved by the FBI. You you have to remember when that plane went down for the first week, that site was considered a crime scene. So with the exception of the county coroner staff, the rest of the people that were there were were law enforcement. Um, The site was basically being barricaded by the Pennsylvania State Police but the, uh, the FBI took over control of the actual site. So I had to go and, and actually be interviewed by the FBI 
after three checkpoints of going through state police asking who I was and why I was there, I finally got to, believe it or not, a 53-foot tractor trailer, all white, no lettering on it, that was the FBI headquarters. And I walked into this trailer, and all I can tell you is I've never seen a trailer with as much technology or firepower on the wall as I saw in that trailer. And I had to sit down with the gentleman that was in charge and talk to him about what we would be doing at the site and to get their approval. So we did garner FBI approval, but unfortunately the first day we arrived at the site to do the work was the site the FBI left, the state police left, and the public kind of took over with the uh, every the onlookers, you know, the rubberneckers. Everybody wanted to see what was going on. So um, it, it was it was a little hairy for the first couple of days that we were there. Finally, they got they got crowd control under taken care of. So how many days and were you there, and and what kind of work were you doing? The initial um, request was to come out and um, do whatever we were asked for the environmental firm. The, the, the main reason the environmental firm was there was not only contamination from jet fuel, but believe it or not, contamination from the aspect of human remains being on the site. So when we arrived, there were actually environmentalists in white jumpsuits on their hands and knees over, you know, four or five acres crawling around looking for human remains. Because you have to understand, when Flight 93 went down, it, it, was, it was at full speed when it hit the ground. So not only did a fireball project in the direction it was headed, but everything else scattered. So there, there was a lake in the forward direction that the plane was going. They actually had to bring in pumps to drain the lake to look for debris. What most people don't understand is that planes also carry U.S. mail. It, it looked like a, uh, a garbage truck had dumped it, the litter. You know, I mean, there were letters everywhere scattered throughout. Some burnt, some not burnt. There was a cabin that was near the site that it blew the windows out and there was debris inside the cabin. So we were there to locate stuff for the environmental firm. So even though the black box had actually already been located, the environmental firm wanted that location. So, of course, I had to crawl down in the in the pit that they excavated, uh, which was about 12 foot deep. And uh, we located the spot on with state plane coordinates as to where the black box was located. And we prepared a drawing showing what, what we had found. A lot of the debris in accordance with the uh, the guidelines was being just put in a dumpster and, and, and shipped to a landfill. There was no evidence left that would uh, dictate what happened. Um, it, it, the, the plane hit the ground at a high rate of speed. And that's, you know, that's what, that's, a, that's what ended up with the, uh, the loss of the 40 lives. So um, it was very unfortunate, but uh, we had to be there. And it was a very somber working atmosphere. One of the, you know, I mean, I've worked at a lot of places, but there wasn't a lot of laughter at that site. I mean, you kind of kept to yourself. You did what you did you know, um, whatever was asked. And, uh, you know, every day there was a, another task ahead of us. 
Yeah, so you do bring up something that I think is kind of interesting, and, I, and I've never really thought about it. But, you know, most of the time when we're on, on sites or when you're doing work, there's a lot of laughter and a lot of joking and a lot of things that kind of keep you going during the day. But I can imagine at that site it was it was fairly somber. Well, and, and that's when, when they called me to do the to do the job. I mean, I remember to this day, you know, I told my contact, I said, here's what I'll do. I said, I'll donate my time, but, you you know, we got to compensate my guys. I said, I'm not worried about getting paid a penny. To answer that question you had asked previously about how long we were there, I failed to answer that. We were there for the first three weeks every day. And then after that, off and on for about the next month. And I can attest to this. I mean, you think you do a thorough, you know, that, that the team that was there was doing a thorough um look through of everything. Um, you know, I know the coroner's office when they were there, you know, they sifted through everything, but unfortunately two months after the crash, they were still finding body parts. It was that bad. What acreage were, was this area that you guys were doing your investigation in? Well, where the plane went down was an open field. If you recall any of the news from the time. So it, it, basically didn't interfere with the public, but it landed in an open field. But based on the project, you know, the forward um, motion of the plane and the way the fuel explosion went and the way the debris field went, it was probably a two to three acre site. Now, you may not think that's very large, but let me tell you this, when you're on your hands and knees, it, it, it is. Now, we weren't on our hands and knees. I don't want to mislead you. That was the environmental people doing that. But we had to work around them left and right. And then eventually, as I, I mentioned about, you know, that the goal was the contamination to the groundwater, what was going to happen was there was going to be a drill rig coming in, taking soil samples. So basically, from the area just prior to where the plane went down, and then going in the direction of that the plane was traveling, we staked out a 25-foot grid for several hundred feet in all directions so that uh, they could do that soil sampling to see if any jet fuel actually did create any groundwater contamination. And I have to, to also say that I was not privy to any of those results, so um, I, I have no knowledge as to what, what that determined understand is this is is what you're talking about kind of a forensic surveying or is that a little bit different my personal opinion would it be it would be a little bit different we weren't really trying to recreate a scene normally on a forensic surveying project you're you're trying to measure where let's say it's an auto accident and you're locating where everything was at so that they can recreate the scene there really wasn't any recreation that was going to take place that I'm aware of for Flight 93. Um, as I said, after the initial investigation and determination, you know, unfortunately, there were hijackers that tried to steer the plane to go to other destinations. And if you remember, there were some passengers on Flight 93 with the, you know, let it roll, let's roll. And um, they took over the hijackers. So the plane went down in a very violent manner. It was known what happened. And, you know, there's a lot of other myths out there. I, I firmly believe there was no 
shooting down of Flight 93. You know, that's been speculated for years. But but this plane went down because the passengers took over the hijackers and, and crashed in that field in Shanksville. Uh, what was it like working on a project like that, being in that environment while all of this, everything else that was kind of going on in our nation how did it feel? How, how was it being there? Well, it was a very somber feeling. And like I said, you know, normally there's joking going on at job sites, but, but that just wasn't the case here. I mean, it was somber from the minute you got on the job site to the minute you left. Um, and, and then you kind of kept it to yourself even on the way home every day. I mean, I think everybody felt they were doing their duty, you know, that, that we owed it to our country to do what we could do to help out in the situation that we were dealt. It just, it's a feeling, I guess you just, it's, it's so hard to explain because let's be honest, I hope I never experienced that feeling again. I can imagine. Yes. You'd mentioned early on that, that the, your corporation, your company had done some, some work like similar to this. Had you done any projects, probably not exactly like this, but other things leading up to this to, to be called in here? And have you done anything since? We have done, we had done work prior and done some work after. Most of them want, most of the sites we worked at dealt with uh, groundwater contamination. A lot of them had to do with chemical plants. Um, it's just, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, when you have a chemical plant, uh, historically, there's going to be some type of groundwater contamination. We've worked at some sites. Um, we actually worked at a chemical plant near Pittsburgh um, that's on an island. And the water level on the two sides of the island are at different elevation, the pool elevation, because of dams and locks on the Ohio River. So that created its own nuance because of how the water flowed. You know, obviously, if there's a 15-foot difference in pool elevation of water from one side of an island to the other, water does some strange things in between and where it goes. That other site that I had mentioned that we had worked at um, was an old dynamite factory. And we had to be concerned that there was dynamite buried on the site and possibly driving a stake into the ground for a survey control point could detonate dynamite. We had to be uh, cognizant of our surroundings. And if we saw anything out of place, you know, you, you, you get away, you notify the uh, um, safety officer on site and things of that nature. Um, we have worked at a number of, uh, as I say, super fun sites. And each one has its own nuances, um, but but certainly nothing compares to everything surrounding Flight 93. You know, as we've been doing the, the podcast series, just a lot of times you can ask, uh, I will ask, you know, what's kind of the most interesting project that, that you've worked on? And I don't, I don't guess I need to ask you <laughs> what, what one of the most interesting surveying type of um, uh, projects you've worked on because you have already mentioned three that um, aren't aren't what I would consider necessarily day-to-day things that a surveyor would be doing. Is, is that correct? You hit the nail on the head, Davey. Um, we have been involved with some very unique projects. And as I say, they are all different. They all have their own nuances. 
but they all fall under that definition of engineering land surveying. You know, it's not a boundary survey, but it is surveying to prepare drawings and identify locations on the surface of the earth. And uh, that's what we do on a daily basis. I, I know that we kind of mentioned it at a little bit at the beginning. Tell us, tell me just a little bit more about what the other services of Widmere Engineering. Well, historically, uh, the, the firm is a civil engineering firm. But the foundation of civil engineering is surveying. You have to have uh, existing data to be able to even design a, a dollar general store, you know, to do the site design. You have to know the boundaries. You have to know the topography. Uh, so surveying is an integral part of civil engineering. Our firm does... Uh, you know, site design, we do bridge design, we do bridge inspections, we do highway design, we do airport runway design. We're currently in the middle of construction of a $5 million runway extension at a nearby airport, which, you know, again, that's not something everybody gets involved with every day. You know, we have a host of licensed professional engineers, um, several licensed professional land surveyors, as well as technicians and office staff. And, um, you know, we, we try to meet the needs of the client uh, to provide the services that they need. That sounds, it sounds really interesting, especially, you know, a lot of times when you're talking about that integration of work that does start from the ground all the way to the, the time a, a, a building, a bridge, a, a road is actually, is actually built. One of the other things that I have talked to or when we interview some of the surveyors is, is you know, trying to look at the, the younger generation and, and encourage more kids to go into surveying. Um, what do you see as the future of surveying? Well, Davey, if you remember when I was president of the council, I formed a task force called the Future of Surveying Task Force. Um, and the reason I did that was because of my concern that we're not graduating enough students in surveying to fill the needs that we need. And um, I, I'm a firm believer that the, the fact that we are not graduating and have enough technical staff in those fields, we're going to lose some of what we believe is, uh, you know, uh, work that a licensed individual can do over time. We're going to lose that to unlicensed activity simply because we're not putting forth enough candidates to to do the jobs on a professional basis. So um, I, I truly think that, uh, I mean, it's a bright field. Uh, it's a great field if you like the outdoors. Or, so it's a hands-on profession. You get to see things, you know, that you don't normally see, whether it be wildlife, whether it be site characteristics, you know, whether it be dynamite. I don't have the crystal ball to tell you um, what's going to happen in the next 10 years. But all I can say is I see the future of surveying being very bright for those that are in it today. And hopefully we don't lose any ground to unlicensed activity. And to echo kind of what you just said and, and to add to it, you know, just hearing some of the things that you've done as a professional surveyor and some of the things that the comp- your company's done is, I, I think it sometimes lends itself to, I don't know, just being a little bit more intriguing, a little bit more exciting for someone to hear some of these things like, huh, well, that does sound kind of interesting. So really appreciate you sharing your story, especially as it relates to 9-11, as it relates to Flight 93, as it went down in Pennsylvania. Is there anything else that you would like to, to share in relation to either the, 
the work there at the wreckage of Flight 93 or just in general about surveying? As far as surveying in general, you know, I've been involved with surveying since 1976, and I, I truly would not change the path that I took. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, it has changed changed from, you know, when I started, there was a transit and a tape measure to where today, you know, we're using uh, satellites and RTK uh, GPS work or, or equipment to solve today's problems, you know, um, or not problems, but, you know, to perform our surveying work. It has changed tremendously. I mean, uh, technology has just changed so much, it's unbelievable. The work that we used to do with a four, five, or even six-man survey corps can be done today with a one- or two-man corps. So, obviously, the, the manpower is not needed to do the work that we used to do because back in the day of the, of the transit and the tape, you had to have line of sight. Whereas today, using GPS, I don't need to see from point A to point B. It tells me what the coordinates are and I can inverse between it and I know what that bearing is. So, I mean, technology is changing. It's going to change in the future. We just got to stay on top of it so we don't lose handle of it. Thank you, David, for joining us today. Your personal surveying story around 9-11 is absolutely incredible and a nice way for us to honor and remember the last 20 years. We appreciate you taking the time to share this memorable story with us. And for all our listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. Please take a minute to leave us a review. This simple action can help others, like yourself, find and share this podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you again on the next episode of Advance, an NCEES podcast series.